0: So Genesis chapter ten. So as I mentioned, we finished last week with with chapter nine and we ended with a little incident that happened between uh, Noah and, and when one of his sin, one of his sons Ham uh, which actually sinned against his father Noah and it's believed that that, that that Ham's son Canaan actually took part in this. And and we ended the chapter with with the cursing actually on on, on Ham's descendants, Canaan, and, and on Canaan's family. But we start chapter 10 here with with uh, with the nations descending from Noah. And really chapter 10 is divided into three parts. Verses 2 to 5 we see the descendants of Japheth, which is one of one of uh, one of Noah's sons. And then verses 6 through 10 to through 20, we see the descendants of Ham. And verses 21 through 31, we see the descendants of Shem, which is actually whom the whom the, seeds, whom the, the lineage of, of the Messiah is gonna is gonna follow. The, the lineage of Shem. So verses 1 through 5, it says, Now this is the genealogy of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And sons were born to them after the flood. So we see that that the, pop, the population didn't end with them. We see that when they got out of the ark, that the, that the Lord gave them instruction. They said, be fruitful, multiply, and, and populate the earth. And we see that when they got into the ark, it wasn't just these guys, you know, but it was them and all their wives. So Noah and his wife, even though their names are not given to us, we see that was Noah and his wife, it was... It was Shem and his, and his wife, it was Ham and his wife, and it was Japheth and his wife. So we see that, that that through these families the Lord repopulated the whole earth. And what we have here really is just a a list of, of the of the beginning of this of these families and the beginning of the of nations that populated the earth after the flood. So it continues to say there in verse two it says, The sons of Japheth were Gomer, Magog, Madai, Jabin, Tubal, Meshech, and Tyrus. The sons of Gomer were Ashkenaz, Rip Riphath and Togermath, The sons of Javan were Elisha, Tarshish, Kinn, and Doranim. From these, the coastline peoples of the Gentiles were separated into the lands. Everyone according to his language, according to their families, into their nation. So really what we have here is again, is, is the beginning of a new nation. And, and the purpose of this chapter is given to us in, in verses 1 and 35 because we're going through this genealogy and we're thinking, alright, well, what's a... What's a purpose of all these names what's the purpose of knowing all these all these family members and really the purpose of this whole chapter is given to us in the first verse and the last verse the first verse says now this is the, geneal- the genealogy of the sons of noah shem Ham, and japheth and sons were born to them after the flood that last verse says these were the families of the sons of noah according to their genealogies in their nations and from these the nations were divided on the earth after the flood so we see that, that, that the lord inspired moses the writer of genesis to give us a, a thorough account, you know, of, of the beginning of these nations. Because, especially in Moses' time, you know, in Moses' time, there was already many nations surrounding them. And even in our time, I mean, there's so many nations that we think, man, where did everyone come from? And yes, originally we all came from Adam and Eve. But really, all of the, the people groups and, and, and the earth today stem from these three families. From the families of, of, of Shem, of Ham, and Japheth. Every single people group. And so we're giving here one people group. Which are the sons of, of Japheth. And so this is actually also an introduction to chapter 12. Because as, as we read through all these people groups. We're going to see that that, that, that the writer Moses. He, he zeroes in on, on specifically one family. And that is the family of Shem. And we see that, that there were many nations and families at this time. But God chose Abram and his descendants through the lineage of Shem to carry the seed. Now it that, says that the descendants of Shem became those nations that located north northwest of Canaan. It is believed that the, that this line came into the came from this line came the Indo-European people. So from, from the lineage of Japheth actually came the Indo-European people. And I don't want to get into all the different people groups that came from here, you know, but but again it's believed that, that, that from this line came the Indo-Europeans. And it goes on to say in verses 6 through 20 it says the sons of ham so now we're going to give be, be given a list of the of the family members of ham of his sons and their sons it says the sons of ham were cush Mizraim, put and canaan the sons of cush were seba Havilah, sapta ramah and saptica and the sons of ramah were sheba and dadan cush we nimrod he began to to be a mighty one on the earth he was a mighty hunter before the lord therefore it said like nimrod the mighty hunter before the lord and the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. He wrecked Akkad Kala in the land of Shinar. From that land, he went to Assyria and built Nineveh, Rehoboth, Ur, Kaleh, and Resin between Nineveh. And Kala, this is the principal city. This is there in verse 13. Mizra begot Ludim, Anim, Lehebim, Naphtam, Pathrim. I'm going to skip through some of these names. But verse fifteen says, Canaan begot Sidon, his firstborn, and Heth. The Jebusite, the Amorite, and the Gergeshite, the Hivite, the Ascite, and the Sinite, the Arbidite, the Zemurite, and the Hamathite. Afterward the families of Canaan of the Canaanites were dispersed. If you notice some of these some of these names are sound familiar and and some some of these names are, are brought up again throughout the whole Bible, and uh, specifically through the, through the book of Numbers and Deuteronomy and Joshua as the children of Israel were were were, were delivered from Egypt and they're there wandering in the wilderness, they actually come in contact with, with a lot of these nations. Uh, specifically, uh, specifically those of the Jebusites, the Amorites, um, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and, and, w- and there's a lot of other ites, you know a lot of nations that, that, that the children of Israel come in contact with and uh, that actually, that actually they come against the nation of Israel you know, so we see that, that, that where these people where these people groups come from you know, we see that the descendants of Ham. Uh, located in the areas that we would know today as Egypt, Libya, North Africa, and the surrounding areas of what we know today as modern Israel. So we see that, that, that from, from the descendants of Ham is where all these people, groups come from. And we see that as we're, as we're reading through this, the, there's kind of like a break in the genealogy. You know, we start reading about all the sons of Ham, and we read about Cush. And then it's like, it's like, there's like a little window in there. And, and the writer takes the time to, to mention a specific person, which is Nimrod. So says there in verse 8, Cush begot Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one on the earth. So all the other guys there, just says their names. This guy begot this guy. This guy begot this guy. But when, when we get to Nimrod, there's specific details given to us about Nimrod. And it's because, you know, it's, it's kind of like an like a, like a, like a introduction to the next chapter as we read about the Tower of Babel. But it goes on to say about Nimrod that he began to be a mighty one. On the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore it is said like Nimrod. The mighty hunter before the Lord. And the beginning of his kingdom. Was Babel. Erech, Akat, Kalna In the land of Shinar. From that land. He went on to Assyria. And built Nineveh. As you know. Nineveh. As you guys read Nineveh. You know. That you'll probably think about the prophet Jonah. You know. As As, as Jonah. Was, there, was prophesying there, there there in Israel. And the Lord came to, to Jonah and he told him, hey, go and, and, and prophesy to the to, to the Ninevites. And we see that Nineveh is actually a city in Assyria. And we see that, that, that Assyria, the Ninevites, actually stem from this one person, Nimrod. So we see that, that he actually established this city, Nineveh, there in, there in Assyria. So, man, years and years, a couple hundred years down the line, we see that, 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 that again, that the Lord calls Jonah to go and to prophesy. To this nation of, of, of Assyria, specifically the city Nineveh, and it's crazy because because we know we all know the story of Jonah that that when the Lord gave him that command, he ran the opposite way, you know. And, and if you start studying more about about about, the, about these people groups, about the the city of Nineveh, about the people the Assyrians, you kind of kind of you kind of understand why Jonah ran the other way, you know. And these Assyrians were notorious killers. I mean, these guys were. were, were Born killers, they were born. They were trained to kill and to torture. And it, it is it is said of the people back in the day. You know, whenever the Syrians will go into a territory, and they would take somebody as captive, those people would rather commit suicide. They would rather kill themselves than than be delivered into the hands of the, the Syrians because they knew they were going to suffer extreme torture under the Syrians. So we see again that that, that the Syrians were known as as an evil people group. You know and and so when, when Jonah got the, got the call from the Lord to go and, and preach repentance to, 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 to Nineveh, to the Syrians, he's like, no way, Lord, you know, they, 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 they got this coming to them, you know, they're evil. There's no way I'm going to go and preach repentance to these guys. They, 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 they deserve to be judged, which is why he ran the opposite way. But we see that, 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 that this evil nation of, of Assyria, you know, this evil people group, stem from this one person, Nimrod, which is a descendant from one of the sons of Noah, Ham. So again, we have this little break here to talk about, about Nimrod, you know, and, and, and the Bible gives us a little more, more insight on, on Nimrod. And we see that he's, really, uh, that he's a notable man in the lineage of Ham. We see that he's the founder of a great post-flood empire, which is going to be established there, there in Babel. We see that he's the leader of the first organized rebellion against God after the flood. He's the leader of the first organized rebellion against God after the flood. Remember that. It says, it tells us here that he was a mighty one on the earth. Now, this mighty refers to it to being mighty in battle. So he was a mighty a, a, a mighty soldier. He was a, a, a mighty man of battle. It means that he was superior in strength. And really when, when, when it says that about him, that he was a mighty man in battle and that he was and when, when it goes on to, to talk about him it, it's, it's not a compliment you know but, but really what, what it's, it's meant to, to say that that the Lord took offense towards Nimrod because of this it says that he was a mighty man of battle it says that he was a mighty hunter before the Lord and really what, what, what this means is that he was a mighty hunter of souls he's actually described as a tyrant you know so he, he ruthlessly went about conquering people and building his own empire and keep that in mind after the flood you know, after the Lord destroyed the whole earth because of their wickedness and because of the rebellion against God you know, the Lord saves no one his family he gives them a command he says be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and this man Nimrod comes up you know, out of nowhere in his own strength in his own rebellion as a tyrant as a mighty man of battle known as, as, as a hunter of souls gathering people to himself you know, and, and building up his own empire and, and really we, we see here the the sin of nimrod because he's going in direct rebellion against god's command to fill the earth and and what what, he, what he's doing really is he's taking people's attention away from god and he's and he's pointing them to himself i was reading in my in my bible encyclopedia more about nimrod there's it was, it was all pages and pages about nimrod here you know, and i didn't want to put it in the notes but some of the things that i said about nimrod you know is that nimrod was was kind of trying to establish himself as god and there's all kinds of pagan practices that come from, 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 from this man, Nimrod. You know, there's a lot of pagan practices, you know, like as far as Easter and, and a lot of pagan stuff that, that we actually practice today in our society, you know, that, that have pagan ties to Nimrod, really to Babylon. But Babylon came from Babel, you know, which was established by Nimrod. And, and a lot of things that that, that, that that go on today and a lot of things, a lot of sinful and, and, uh, and idolatrous practices that, that went on throughout the rest of the Bible. No, that stem from this one man, Nimrod. So it says that he built four cities in Shinar. Babel, Erech, Akkad, and Kalan. And then it says that he built four cities in Assyria. Nineveh, raboth Ur, Kaleh, and Rezin. So he is responsible for turning the hearts of men away from God and unto himself. This is the beginning of really what's called humanism. What's known as humanism. And really uh, what humanism is, is it's a system of thought attaching prime importance to human. Rather than divine or supernatural matters, humanism again a system of thought attaching prime importance to human rather than divine or supernatural supernatural matters. So he was uh, not so much an atheist because he, he no doubt he had heard the stories. I mean, he's only a couple generations away from the flood. You know, no doubt he knew what God had done. But but so he deliberately knowing that God exists, knowing that God had wiped out the whole earth, knowing that that that, that is that his grandpa Noah, you know. Whose whose dad knew adam you know so they knew all the stories so he deliberately went against god he knew god existed he knew god had given them the command had given them the command to go and to repopulate the earth and to be fruitful and to multiply and he knew that that, that that god's ideal for for mankind was that they would go and that they would populate the earth and that really that they would work as a as a theocracy having god as their as their rulers so knowing that Nimrod establishes his own kingdom, starting there in Babel. He built up this, these four cities. He he sways men's hearts unto himself and establishes himself as king instead of God. So his, his his whole idea is is to is to dethrone God, you know, and to put himself on this throne, you know, to establish his empire and to have people come and worship him and could to have people come and bow down to him. And really, it's no different than what Satan did there in the rebellion. Right. What does Satan say? He says, I will establish my, my throne like, like, the, like the most high. I will be worshipped like the most high. Was like, there's those five eyes of Satan there in Isaiah. You know, it says, I will be worshipped like the, like the most high. I will, be, I will establish my throne. He says, I will establish my dominion. Those five eyes. And really, we see that this is what when, when Nimrod is doing. That he's swaying the hearts of, of the men and women there at that time. Away from God. And not to himself. And unto his kingdom. That's really what his sin is. And again, this is really the, 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 the beginning of humanism here here in the Bible. I'm going to skip the rest of these names because uh, to be honest, some of them are really hard to pronounce. And I'll start right there in verse 21. It says, And children were born also to Shem. And this is the guy that we're going to focus on, Shem. He says, The father of all the children of Eber, the brother of Japheth, the elder. The sons of Shem were Elam, Asher, Arphaxed, which is in the next chapter. We're going to focus on, on this man, Arphaxed. Lud and Aram. The sons of Aram were Yuz, Hol, Gether, and Mash. Arphaxed begat Selah, And Selah begot Eber. To Eber were born two sons. The name of one was Pele, for in his days the earth was divided. And his brother's name was Joktan. Joktan began Amodad, Shaleth, Hazarmaveth, Jera, Hertha, Dikla, Obla, Amadel, Sheba, Ophir, Havilah, and Jobab. All these sons were the sons of Joktan. And their dwelling place was from Mesha, as you go toward Sephir, the mountain of the east. These were the sons of Shem according to their families, according to their languages and their lands, according to their nations, these were the families of the sons of Noah, according to their generations and their nations. And from these the nations were divided on the earth after the flood. So we see that that, that really what they're doing is that they're fulfilling God's command, which was to, to be fruitful, to be mul- to multiply upon the face of the earth. And and the, and in the midst of, of of these sons of Noah, you know, fulfilling God's command and obeying God's command. Again, there stands up this one man, Nimrod, who is going contrary to everything that God has commanded them. Was going contrary to everything that God has taught him. So was going was going contrary to everything that, 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 that the grandfather Noah has, has told him to do. And he's establishing his own kingdom. And we're going to read a little bit about it here in the Tower of Babel chapter 11. So chapter 11. Verses 1 through 4 says. Now the whole earth had one language and one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east. That they found a plain in the land of Shinar. And they dwelt there. Then they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone and they had asphalt for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. So we see, I mean, and, and if you just read it you know, and, you, and you take it for face value, you might think, well, what's the big deal? These guys are just building a city. I mean, we see cities throughout the whole Bible. There's nothing really wrong in, 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 in what they're doing. And we take it for face value. But remember Genesis 9 1, the command was to be fruitful, to multiply, to fill the earth. You know, and, and, and I draw your attention back to this verse because really this chapter is, is focused on, on, on the rebelling of Nimrod against this one verse from, from the Lord. The command was to be fruitful, to multiply, and to fill the earth. So we see that, that, that these guys and really as with Nimrod as their leader, they're direct rebellion to God's command to fill the earth. They stop here in the plains of Shinar. So it says that as they're, as they're coming from the east, they get to the plains of Shinar and they think, oh, well, this is a good place to establish our kingdom. This is a good place to build our city. So they were going on the right path. It says that, 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 that they were journeying from the east. You know, so as they're journeying, they're having kids, they're, 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 they're spraying about the whole earth. They get to this one place, they set up shop right there. And boom, they, they, they begin to build their own kingdom. So they were on the right path. You know, and really the, the idea is that instead of them scattering across the earth, Nimrod built a city. He moves them all in. So now he's ruler over them instead of them being ruled by God. And really, this is this is really the what, what, the, what the sin of Nimrod is and, and, and why God destroyed the Tower of Babel. Because behind this Tower of Babel was this one man, Nimrod was desiring to receive worship from the people and take away the worship from God. And we know in the Bible that God says that he will not share his glory with anybody. And then here comes this one man, Nimrod, and he's desiring to take the glory away from God. A lot of uh, actually pagan Babylonic practices and and, and and idols came from this one man, Nimrod. You know, they actually, uh, from him came a lot of, a lot of these little idols and, and a lot of these false gods, the Baals, you know, that we read about the asterisk, that we read about later on. A lot of these practices of, of, of killing, of sacrificing their, their babies. You know, we read later on that the Canaanites were, were involved in this uh, idol worship, you know, and they would worship these idols by, by sacrificing these, their babies, their newborn babies, on these, on these little statues, you know, these little iron statues of this, of this god Baal. And this little, this little god Baal you know, so it, it was a little statue, and it, he would have his hands stretched out like this. They would heat it up to where it's burning hot, and they would sacrifice their babies on it. And we see that a lot of these practices stem from from this man Nimrod, you know, and, and from his 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 idea of of, uh, of of worship unto him. So we see again just the the sin of Nimrod and why God had to take out this city, you know, and, and why God had to take him out, pretty much. So pretty much they're. As they're right there in the plains of shinar says that they that they get to these plains and that nimrod begins to establish his city he says hey let's just build a city right here he says come let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens so he let's build ourselves a city a tower whose top is in the heavens now if you're like me when you think of babel when we think about the tower of babel you know you think about the those children's stories and, and you picture in your mind uh, a tower that's so high and it's going at like this and it's moving back and forth and there's clouds all around it and it's like they're almost, reached, they're almost reaching up into outer space. You know, I don't know if you guys think about that. You know, When I think about the Tower of Babel, I always think about those children's stories. And we think about this tower that just looks like the leading tower of pizza that just goes super high up into the sky. You know, and these guys are climbing the tower and they're like, come on, let's go one, one level higher. You know, and, and I always thought about the Tower of Babel like that, you know, but when we, we study the Tower of Babel, it wasn't so much high as it was wide. And really the, the, the Tower of Babel, um, it's... It's a tower this word tower is known as a as a ziggurat you know and this ziggurat it's like a pyramid but but with levels you know so you you can look at pictures of it you know it's it's a ziggurat it's it's a, it's a pyramid and it has levels that you can walk on and then the, and then it has stairs that take you all the way to the top and at the very top of the ziggurat of this pyramid of this tower would be a place for for idol worship and it would have these all these shrines set up at the very top of this tower and they would begin to, to, to worship these idols. And at this time, you know, they, they were already worshiping the moon gods, you know, and, and the sun gods and all kinds of other gods, you know, except for the one true God. So we see that, that this Tower of Babel, again, it wasn't this super high, you know, skyscraper. It was more of like a pyramid. It was a ziggurat. And really what it was, it was, it was a temple. It was, it, was, it, was a, it was a place for, for idol worship. You know, and in notice it says... They say, let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad the face of the whole earth. So we see here the intent of the hearts of the people who are involved in this building. It's nothing but selfish ambition. You know, it's direct rebellion against God. They say themselves. They say, let us make a name for ourselves. Not let us build this tower for God. Let us, let us build this temple for God. Let us build this altar for God. Let us build this place where people can come and worship God. You know, but it says, let us make a name for ourselves So we see that, that That rooted in this building Is is selfish ambition It's, it's a, it's a it's, We see that There are egos in it You know And it's in direct rebellion Against God Then verse 5 it says But the Lord came down To see the city And the tower Which the sons of men Had built Now this again Is an anthropomorphism You know It's not that God Came down from heaven And he kind of Came down and said What's going on over here Hey Why don't you guys Build that thing it's not that he came down and he he, literally came down from heaven but again it's an anthropomorphism meaning it's a it's a description of God using human terms using human language it says the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built and the Lord said indeed the people are one and they have and they all have one language and this is what they begin to do now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them so we see that, that the people were in unity in the sense of that, that they all spoke the same language, you know, and, and really I mean this is never as far as we know, you know, besides this point, you know, there's always been this language distinctions, you know, and these language barriers. And, and and I was reading this, you know, and, and I think about today, you know, how there's so much uh, propaganda for unity, you know, bring unity and get rid of this, we're gonna be united and, and it's always about, you know, you know, unidos and be united. And, and you hear that a lot a lot. You know, and if you haven't noticed it, you know, start paying attention and really a lot of you hear on, on, on the mainstream media and on the news and really on, 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 on just about every, every social media platform is this, is this push towards unity. You know, and, 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 and there's this notion going out there that, that, if, that if the human race was just united, that we we'll would be able to get rid of all these problems and all these things. And when we see here that the last time that the human race was united, what did they do? They rebelled against God. They, were, they all had the same language, they all had the same, they all were able to communicate, they all lived around the same area. You know, there was nothing really that separated them. They were in unity, you know, and, and really it caused them to be a unity against God. And we see that, 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 that what Nimrod was doing, you know, was he was building this earthly utopia. You know, and and what, what I mean by that is, is he was building some so to say, you know, heaven on earth, you know, but without God without any of the of the spiritual stuff, without God ruling and reigning over them, without the without you know the kingdom of God in place, you know, but with him as God. He's building this earthly utopia. And we see that that in our society today, you know, there's there's a big move towards that today. You know, and, and, and there's this big move, you know, towards getting rid of all the borders and making us just one world government. If you guys have heard, you know, of, of the one world government, the world world establishment, you know the new world order, you know, and there's this put there's this push between all the world leaders to, to, to you know to have one world currency and to have one one language and to have one uh, pretty much have one passport so you could travel all the earth. There's this move towards, towards this earthly utopia once again. And, and we see really what stand behind it is is what society is trying to do is that they're trying to get God out of the picture, you know, build this earthly utopia, have everyone united, get rid of all the borders, get rid of all the all the, you know like all the notions of God and just have men ruling over men. You know and, and and really that's that's what's behind all this push you know that, that we we'll see in the news today you know we we'll see in, in the political stance today is like man they're trying to get rid of god and we've seen it i mean they've been trying to get rid of, rid of god from the, they've got him out of the school systems they're trying to get get rid of him you know on, 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 and from the law and from the justice system and and what they're really trying to do is they're trying to eliminate god from from all society you know and make man and put man in the place of god there's this famous philosopher uh, Frederick Fred Nietzsche you know and he's responsible for the saying you know he said this he says God is dead we have killed him he's, he's responsible for that famous saying God is dead we have killed him and he came up with the with the idea of the uber munch and the uber munch it's the superman you know it's a man who's capable of doing you know of doing supernatural things apart from God and really this uber munch means superman and that's Actually, where we get the Superman, the concept of the superhero, the Superman, you know, as, as a man who has this, this a, uh, there's a divine strength, this divine ability, you know, this man who's, who's a savior now, you know, because you notice in all those cartoons with the superheroes, there's no mention of God, you know, but when someone's in trouble, what do they do? Bam, they shine the light and the superhero comes and really this, the notion of the superhero comes from Friedrich Nietzsche's uber munch, the superhuman, the superman. And, and, and really this is the, the philosophy that's instilled in our society today is again that they're trying to get rid of God trying to elevate man into the position of God and, and, and this and this saying of Nietzsche is still echoing in society today God is dead and we've killed God God is dead and we've killed Him so now that God is dethroned now that God is dead who's going to take the throne? man Actually, see this is nothing new you know and the Bible says that there is nothing new under the sun you see it says in Ecclesiastes nothing new under the sun And this is just history repeating itself so we see that, that God brings judgment on the people by confusing their language. So they were all, again, they were all able to communicate, you know, so they were able to work fast. You know, they, they, they were able to communicate pretty effectively. So we see that, that, that God's judgment because of the rebellion is that he brings, he brings confusion to their language. And really this is the beginning of languages, you know, of, of different languages, of different tongues. So the idea is that, is that they would show up to work. You know, and, and I'm not sure if it happened overnight or if it happened as they were working or as it happened as they were going home. But I could just imagine they show up to work one day and, uh, hey, buenos dias. And the guy's like, what do you mean? What are you talking? Good morning. Hey, no, uh, uh, guten morning, which is, I think, German for, for good morning. I forgot what any other things in, in, in other languages for good morning. But everyone starts talking these different languages and all of a sudden they realize, man, I can't understand what they're saying. And maybe they're perplexed, maybe they're show up to work. And we're like, all right, well, what's the task for today? And they're not, they, they're unable to communicate, and as they're unable to communicate, they find somebody who, who, who you could kind of understand, and you know, so these these guys get together because they could kind of understand each other, and these guys get together because they could kind of understand each other, and these guys over here go this way because they could kind of understand each other, and they abandon the work. So, so we see that God's judgment for man's rebellion, you know, is 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 the dividing of tongues, you know. So now they're not able to communicate, and they each go their own way, and we we'll see that the confusion of language. Is, is actually a curse it's a curse from god for man's rebellion and, and as i read about about that you know as i was studying that you know uh, i thought about you know revelation there in chapter and well, many chapters but specifically the revelation chapter 7 verse 9 when it's talking about the multitudes who came out of the great tribulation and it says of all nations tribes peoples and tongues standing before the Lamb, crying out, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And and, and I just think it's it's amazing how, how this is just one of the many curses that God will reverse in heaven when all things are made new. You know, He brought this curse of the of the, of the division of tongues there because of man's rebellion here in, in, in Genesis chapter 11. And in heaven, when everything is made new, we're all going to speak the same language. Have you guys ever, ever thought about that? When I read about that and it says that, 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 that there was people's Of all tongues of all tribes of all nations of all people groups and 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 john as he was listening to this he was able to understand you know he was able to understand as they were all worshiping god and and crying out salvation belongs to our god who sits on the throne and to the lamb and god was able to and john was able to see all these thousands and thousands and thousands of people you know worshiping god in one language i just think it's amazing how how this is just one of the curses that god's going to reverse they're, they're, uh, they're in heaven when all things are made new. They didn't give us the ability to, to understand each other. You know, and, and, and the Bible doesn't tell us what language we're going to speak in heaven. You know, I don't know if it's going to be English or Spanish or Italian or what, or Hebrew. We don't know what it's going to be. You know, but we see that we're all going to be able to understand each other. We're all going to be able to talk to each other. There's going to be no language barriers. There's going to be no need for a translator. There's gonna be no no need for a dictionary. You know, we're all gonna be able to understand each other. We're all gonna be able to worship God with one tongue, with one language, with one and one accord. I just think that's amazing. I think it's beautiful. So it says, number seven says, Come, let us go down and there and confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth. It says, and they ceased building the city. Therefore, its name is called Babel. Because there, the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the earth. Just for, for, for from that time on, the city was called Babel. And we still use that word to this day. Have you guys ever noticed when somebody just talking and talking and talking? Like, oh, that guy's just babbling on. <laughs> you guys notice, we still use that word Babel. And really, this is, this is what, where, where that notion came from. It's from the Tower of Babel. And it's awesome to see that people who don't believe in God use that word all the time. They use that, 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 that reference all the time. And they don't even realize that what, they, what they're using is a biblical reference. Like, oh, that guy's just a babbler. He's just babbling on and babble, babble, whatever. And really, it, it, it came from, from here from Genesis chapter 11. So we'll move on, we'll move on now to a, another portion of Scripture here. Verses 10 through 26, which is actually the starting into the next section of this. We're going to get a little bit more about the genealogy of Shem. So we saw here that then the verses prior, it gave us a genealogy of Shem. And it gave us different sons. But, but in this genealogy, it's going to focus on one son, which is Arphaxet. Who, who's going to be pretty much the one who, who, who the seed goes through. So verses 10, 10 through 26, it says, This is the, the genealogy of Shem. Shem was 100 years old and begot Arphaxet two years after the flood. After after he begot Aphraxad, Shem lived 500 years and begot sons and daughters. Aphraxad lived 35 years and begot Selah. After he begot Selah, Aphraxad lived 403 years and begot sons and daughters. Selah lived 30 years and begot Eber and he begot Eber. After he begot Eber, Selah lived 403 years. He begot sons and daughters. Eber lived 34 years and begot Peleg and after he begot Pelech, Eber lived 430 years and begot sons and daughters. Pelech lived 30 years and begot Ru. After he begot Ru, Peleg lived 209 years and begot sons and daughters. Ru lived 32 years and begot Surab. After he begot Surab, Ru lived 270 years and begot sons and daughters. So I'll take a pause right there. One of the things that stands out is, is that, you know, it focuses on this, on this one guy. And then it focuses on, on one specific son. And then he goes on to say, and they begot; they continue to begat sons and daughters. So we see that, that as we're reading through, through these names, keep in mind that they have more sons than daughters. But 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 the Bible is is focusing in, zeroing zeroing in on these key players because they're they're the ones through whom this seed is going to be carried. Remember that seed, that promised seed that was given to 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 Adam and Eve. after they sinned. you know, and they thought it was going to come through through Abel, you know, they thought it was going to be through Cain, but actually Cain ended up killing Abel, and then they had. Uh, Seth, and they realize, like, all right, it, it's going to continue on. You know, I, I remember using that reference of the football. You know, and all right, Seth got the football. And, you know, he's passing on the football, and we see that the seed, the seed is carrying down through Seth, and eventually down through through Noah, now through Shem, and then now through Shem. We're, again, we're zeroing on on these key players, on these on these key descendants. So he had more descendants. They had more sons and daughters, but but the the lineage of the seed is going through these specific sons and daughters. It says there in verse 22, Saruk lived 30 years and begot Nahor. After he begot Nahor, Serug lived 200 years and begot sons and daughters. Nahor mm-hmm. lived 29 years and begot Terah. After he begot Terah, Nahor lived 119 years and begot sons and daughters. Now Terah lived 70 years and begot Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Alright, now we're getting somewhere. Now you know, we we'll start, we'll start uh, realizing some of these names. Are Abraham, Nahor, Haran. And we see that, that, that almost three-fourths of the Bible is dedicated to this one man, Abraham and, and his descendants. You know, so we see that, that, that verses 1 through 11, you know it, we read about the, the nations, but once we get to verse two, chapter 12, we, the, the majority of the rest of the book of Genesis is focused on, on just on, on Abraham, and then Isaac, Jacob and Joseph. why? again. Keep in mind that there was many other people groups on the earth at this time. They continued to multiply and to multiply and to multiply. But God chose this lineage to carry the seed of the Messiah. So we, again, we're giving the, the genealogy of Shem. And, and again, Shem had more kids. But we focus now on the Messiah's lineage through Arphax. Down to Abram. Eventually to Judah. Eventually to Boaz. Eventually to Jesse. Who begot David. who begot Solomon. And then eventually down to... Jesus Christ. And I just think it's amazing how how, how we have this this detailed you know, lineage of Christ. And you guys can read about it there in Matthew chapter 1. And Matthew starts his starts his chapter by, by 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 giving down the lineage all the way down from, from Abram. I, I'm not sure if you use this term but I know from Abram all the way down to Christ. You know, and it's like he's giving us without a shadow of a doubt, you know, this, this assurance, knowing like, hey, this is the promised Messiah. You know, and he's taking it all the way back down to the beginning. You know, where God gave him the promise. You know, so there would be a sh- there will be without a shadow of a doubt. You know, this, this assurance that, 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 that Jesus Christ, who was who was crucified, who resurrected, who lived among them, who, who you know, who dwelled among them, you know, was a Christ. And keep in mind that, that Matthew wrote his gospel aimed towards the Jews. You know, and aimed towards the religious Jews. So the religious Jew of the time, you know, they're very big into genealogies and their father Abraham. They would read Matthew's Matthew's account of the gospel of Christ. You know, and, and boom, right at the beginning, you know, they, they will see this huge genealogy starting from Abraham. You know, Abraham down to Isaac and Jacob and, and Judah, and, you know, and, and, and then down to to, uh, to Jesse, to Obed, to David, you know, all the way down to, to the Christ. And it's like at the very first page, the religion, the, the Orthodox Jew would, would read this this gospel and know right away, oh, you know, could it be like it, that alone, that, that genealogy alone down to Christ would, would, would get rid of any of their of their of their uh, other doubts. So if you guys ever minister to a Jew, you know, or, or get the opportunity to minister to minister to a Jew, refer him to, to Matthew's gospel. And you see that that John is a best gospel to refer to a non-believer, you know, and, and Matthew is actually the best gospel to refer to to a Jewish to a Jewish person. That's a little side note right there. Verses 27 to 30, we'll finish the chapter, it says. This is the genealogy of Terah. Terah begot Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Haran begot Lot, and Haran died before his father Terah and his native land in Ur of the Chaldeans. Then Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and the father of Iscah. But Sarah was barren. She had no child. And it says, And Terah took his son Abram and his grandson Lot and the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law, Sarai, his son, Abraham's wife, Abram's wife. And they went out with them from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. And they came to, to Haran and dwelt there. So the days of Terah were 205 years and Terah died in Haran. So we see here the beginning of Abram's story. And this is before he was renamed Abraham. So right now he's still Abram. We see that verse 28 tells us that, that Abram's brother Haran died and, and left the son behind. Notice there it says And Haran died before his father Terah And his native land in Ur of the Chaldeans But what it means there is Literally it's like he would have died Like right before him Like right in his arms We don't know why he died The Bible doesn't tell us how he died But we see that, that he died at a, at a relatively early age Compared to the rest of these These people that were given here in, the, in these genealogies and So he died He had one, one son that he left behind Which is Lot You know And, and, and that explains why uh, Why Abram sort of took Lot under his wing you know, we're going to read in the following chapters that, you know, that, that, that Abram was with his nephew Lot. You know, and we see because Abram's, Abram's brother died, he left his one son behind. So what does uh, Uncle Abram do? You know, he takes his nephew with him. He takes his nephew with him. He takes him, you know, under his wing. He pours into him. He takes care of him like as if he was his own son. Keep in mind that Abram had no, no children up until this point. And it's noticed that then verse 30 says, But Sarai was barren, she had no child. So we see that, 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 that the Bible makes it, makes it, a, makes it, makes it, a, a, uh, makes a point of, 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 of pointing this out to us. It says, but Sarah was barren, she had no child. So it starts talking about the, 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 the wives. It says, but Sarah was barren, she had no child. Now keep in mind that, that for the, for the Jew at this time, you know, for the person at this, at this time there in their, in their culture, this would actually be a curse. This would be considered a curse from God, uh, to not be able to bear any children, because that would mean that, that your name would stop right there, that, that your lineage would stop right there, and that, that, that there would be no one to carry on your last name, that there would be no one to carry on your your, your family tree. Uh, so back in the day, when, 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 when a couple was barren, it was considered to be a, a curse from God. It was something to be looked down upon. You know what I mean, I know it's still in, in some cultures today, I mean, even in, in, in Hispanic culture, you know, when you have no kids, it's kind of rare. Like, well, you don't have 10 kids? How do you not have 10 kids? You know, I mean, most, most Hispanic families are, are, are big. I mean, I grew up in a family, well, we're a family of seven. I saw four of us grew up in the, in, the, in the home, but between my brothers and sisters, we're seven. And my mom, her brothers and sisters were seven. And I think my grandma's were seven. Oh, seven, seven, seven. But, you know, so, so even like in, like, like in Hispanic culture, you know, it's, it's typical to have big families. You know, it's like if you have less than three kids in a Hispanic home, you're like, whoa, something's wrong with you, you know. <laughs> but, but even more back then, I mean, if you have if you had no one to carry on your lineage, to carry on your seed, to carry on your last name, again, it was considered a curse. It was something to be looked down upon. I mean, and people will kind of even shun you, you know, as like, oh man, don't come close to them. You have no kids. You know, something must be wrong with them. They must be in and great and grave sin you know, before the Lord. You know, because the Lord is, has, has has closed up their womb, you know, they can't have any kids. He must have done something to make God mad. That was the idea, you know, and, 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 and that was the, the, the thinking of the day. And, and I believe still to this day in Jewish culture, you know, they're, 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 they're encouraged to have a lot of kids. You know, Jewish families typically are very big, you know, and, and, and they consider, you know, they consider it, to, it to be a blessing to have any kids. So, so still there's, there's this little notion that still exists. But back then, even then, even more. And, and also notice that the Bible makes it, makes it a, a point to point this out. It says that Sarah was barren, she had no child. So immediately reading this, you know, you would think, man, this is a couple who is afflicted. They, they would have been extremely afflicted. More than that, because Abram's name actually means exalted father. So to think his name means exalted father. Oh, cool. How many kids do you have? None. All right. What about that guy? No, he's my nephew. All right. You know, so, it, it took, so for, for him to have the name exalted father and then have his wife not, not be able to have any kids, again, his neighbor, his family, people will look at them like, man, something's wrong with these guys. They must be in sin. Stay away from them. God has turned His face on uh, 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 behind them. He's turned His back on them. You know, He's not blessing them. Like this would have been that the idea, you know. So this is a, a, a troubled, a troubled couple. You know, definitely they would have been the talk of the town. You know, so we see that that God will use this couple to start a family, and from that family, a great nation. It says. And it says that, that, uh, that, this, that from this couple, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Now, it's interesting that the three main religions in the world all recognize Abram in some way. So, God gave a promise to Abram. You know, He told him, hey, from you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. From you. From you, Abram. All the nations of the, of the world will be blessed. And it's just interesting that the, the, the three main religions of the, of the world, Christianity, Judaism, and, and uh, Islam, all have abram you know as as in some type of respect in some type of reverence you know for the christian of course you know, he's the father of faith for the jew he's the father of their nation that he's like the you know the main guy you know for 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 islam he's a prophet and they recognize they recognize abram you know as as, as their father as well because you know from him came ishmael which is where the arab arab people came from so interesting that, that god made this promise to abram before he even had any kids you know, while his name was exalted father and his wife was barren, they had no kids and his neighbors looked down, down upon him and they thought he was cursed. But yet God gave him this blessing, he gave him this promise that from you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And we see that indeed all the nations of the world are blessed because of Abram. And we see again that, that, that the three main religions of the world recognize Abram as, as some, as some you know, historical figure or as a figure to be respected. And this is interesting because when you contrast it with chapter 11 at the Tower of Babel. We just read chapter 11, right? The Tower of Babel and about Nimrod. And really what what chapter 11 was, was it was man trying to build his own kingdom. Using man's strength, man's wisdom, and man's tools. Building building a nation without God. And it was unsuccessful. We see that, that, that God brought it down to nothing. But we see the difference here in doing things man's way and God's way. Again, chapter 11... Nimrod rising up, you know, exalting himself, building a city, trying to build a nation, a great empire, in his own strength, in his own tools, in his own name, you know, in, in his own strength, you know, with his own reputation, exalting himself. And the Lord crushed it. Then we see this couple here who is barren, who is uh, considered a curse, who is definitely lonely, who who's probably feels, you know, forgotten, who, who, who probably feels like they're least than, than all the other family members. And yet God exalts them. And God uses them to bless, you know, the nations of the whole earth and really to bring to bring the lineage of the Messiah through. And this we just see the the, the, the grace of God. You know, we see just the, the the loving care of God. You know, that he would look down on this on this one couple. We see that again, that, that God chose these two weak people to start a new nation and bring the kingdom of God of God to man. So again, we see that again the difference between chapter 11 and the beginning of chapter 11 and the, and, the, and the ending of chapter 11 man making you know, man exalting himself and coming to nothing and then God exalting man and of that bringing a whole nation and I think it's interesting because the world looks for strong leaders you know for rich rulers for large numbers but God doesn't you know God will use two weak people you know a weak couple who doesn't even have any kids you know, and from them, from them, he'll make something out of nothing. And I just think that's, that's so the Lord, you know, because God doesn't see like men see, you know, as, as, as the Lord told Samuel, he says, hey, he says, God doesn't see like, like men see. He says, for men look at the outer appearance, but God looks at the heart. And really that's what God was seeing. You know, he saw the heart of Nimrod, which was selfish, which was, you know, selfishly ambitious, which was to exalt himself. And what did he do? He crushed him. You saw the heart of Abram and Sarai, which is a humble heart, you know, disdain, probably perplexed, probably hurt, probably felt forgotten. And what does he do? He exalts them. I just think that's amazing. And we see that then this is, is a principle, you know, that, that, that God can do more with, you know, with these two weak individuals. God did more. He did more with these two weak individuals than he did it with, the, with the whole empire that was, that was built upon man. It reminds me of a verse there in 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel 14, uh, talking about Jonathan and his armor bearer. If you guys remember, then 1 Samuel 14, uh, Saul as king at the time, and, and of course they had a very weak army, you know, and, and, and the Philistines were always coming upon them, you know, and, and 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 beating them up pretty much, you know, and we see because it was because they had a weak ruler Saul, but we see that while they were there, that that's, that Jonathan was right there with his armor bearer, and as I is that that the nation of Israel had 300. Men, you know, who went about to win a battle at that time. Now, all the more people just camped out, just waiting, scared. It says that Jonathan told his, got his armor bearer, and he said, hey, let's go up there to the, to the garrison of the Philistines. He goes on to say, because it may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. I love that. You know, that's something that the Lord's constantly reminding us of, that nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. You know, and, and I say that because you know, Obviously we're a church of few <laughs> We're not a church of many We're a church of few But nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many Or by few It's not about numbers to the, to the Lord Because you know, God is in the business of, uh, of, of multiplication <laughs> you know, he'll, make, he'll make Man, He'll make something out of nothing you know, and, and we see that, that, that God made A whole nation, a whole people group Out of these two weak individuals Ape and Miserai, who were, They didn't have any kids at the time and when they did have kids They were already too old To have any kids But from them Man Came out the nation of Israel A great nation That still stands to this day We read about All these other nations out Here here in the Bible And all of them Are and gone Egypt Boom gone Babylon Boom gone the Syria Persia All these nations Boom gone But Israel Israel still stands to this day Being bombed From left and right Almost You know Every week But they still stand To this very day mm-hmm. We see that, that God can save By many you know, or by few. Nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. And God can do more with With, with, with little, you know, we give them than, than, or God can do more with the little than with the many. You know, and that encourages me. That, that really does encourage me. You know, because people tend to look at numbers, you know, and, wow, oh, we're just a church of five. Wow, oh, we're just a church of 20. Wow, oh, we're just a church of 100. You know, and they think, oh, we can't do this because we're limited. But nothing limits God. You know, we may be limited in, in ourselves, but, but, we're not li- but God's not limited. I heard a saying, you know, somebody somebody told me one time, "You plus God equals, you know, victory." So it doesn't matter who's with you, who's not with you, you know, who's coming alongside of you, who's not coming alongside of you. If the Lord is in it, and they consider it a victory. I say, well, oh, thank you, Lord. First Corinthians 1, 26, 28 Paul is writing. He says, "For you see your calling, brethren." Thou not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of this world to put, put a shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of this world to put a shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of this world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. So we see that this is a principle that, that we see ever, ever since you know, the, be, the beginning. Of history. You know, that, that, that God always chooses a few, that God always chooses the weak, that God always chooses those those least likely characters. We see that that God is always rooting for the underdog. You know, and, and, and I love that about the Lord, you know, because that's me too. I always root for the underdog. You know, I always root for the ones who, who seem like they're gonna lose, you know, and, and for the ones who have all odds against them. You know, and, and really that's us, you know, it seems that like we have all odds against us, you know. And and but we see that, that, that that's when the Lord can show himself strong. And when when we realize, Lord. We got nothing going for us, Lord. There's just a few of us here, you know, and, and we're all tired, Lord, and this is going on, that's going on, and Lord, if you're not in it, Lord, we can't do it. And bam, that gives a perfect opportunity for the Lord to just show up and do something amazing because we recognize, Lord, if you weren't in this, Lord, if, 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 if you hadn't shown up, then, Lord, nothing would have happened. You know, was like, God gets all the glory because we recognize that, Lord, in our strength, we can't do anything, Lord. We can't really, Lord, we can't do much. We can't do anything. You need to do it. So man God shows up he does something he gets all the glory and all the honor when I mean, he shares it with not with us it goes on to say there in verse 31 and 32 because and Terah took his son Abram and his grandson Lot the son of Haran and his daughter-in-law Sarai his son Abram's wife and they and they went out from they went out with them from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan and they came to Haran and dwelt there So the days of Terah were 205 years and Terah died in Haran. So it says that they all live in Ur of the Chaldeans. Now, notice it says, and Terah took them and left Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. And when they got got to Haran, they dwelt there. It says that Terah took them and left Ur of the Chaldeans. Now, I read that and it's interesting because we know that when God called Abram and Sarai, they belonged to a family of of idol worshippers. And really, Ur of the Chaldeans and, and Haran were the, were the two main places for, for the moon god worship For the worship of the moon god Ur was the first place But Haran was the second, second biggest place for, for moon god worship You know, and it says that That Terah took them from Ur of the Chaldeans You know, and, he, and, and as they were journeying there to Canaan They stopped at the Haran But it says that Terah that took them Now, Joshua tells us a little Gives us a little more insight on this there in Joshua 24 four two, as Joshua is, 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 uh, is, is addressing the, the people, it says, And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abram, and the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river in old times, and they served other gods. So we see that, that Abram came from a, a family of idol worshipers. You think, well, how could that be? You know, Abraham, the father of faith, Abraham, the father of all nations, Abraham you know the, the father Abraham you know how could, you, how, how could that be you know we see that that, that that the Lord chose Abram and Sarai from this family of idol worshippers and from a land of, 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 of idol worshipping he chose he chose to take them out now it says right there that Terah took them out but the question comes up why would Terah leave Ur of the Chaldeans and, you know if, if he's an idol worshipper like Joshua says he was worshipping idols you know and he was glad to worship idols there. why would he take them out you know, so both Ur and Harran again were big centers for the worship of the of the moon god. Well, remember how we always say that the best commentary for the New Testament is the Old Testament, the best commentary for the Old Testament is the New Testament, and that's so true. We could use that right now. In Acts chapter seven, actually, we're gonna get there eventually, prayerfully. One day we'll get to chapter seven. But in Acts chapter seven, verse two, verses two to four, as Stephen is being martyred, you guys remember if you guys read that, Stephen is being martyred. And he starts addressing, he starts addressing all the religious leaders. You know, and, and really inspired by the Holy Spirit, he started just, boom, just preaching to them. You know, and they get so mad that they storm him to death. But this is what he says to them. Acts 7, 2-4 says, And he said, Brethren and fathers, listen, the God of glory appeared to our father Abram when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran and said to him, Get out of your country and from your relatives and come to a land that I will show you. Then he came out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Haran and from there, when his father was dead, he moved, he moved him to this land which in which you now dwell. So we see that it was Abram who heard the from the Lord while he was still on earth. It wasn't that, that Terah decided one day, hey guys, you know what? There's just too much idolatry going on over here. We gotta go to Canaan. You know, it wasn't and we gotta get out of here. I gotta save my family. It wasn't that 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 that, that Terah heard heard from the Lord. It wasn't that he was a godly man and and, you know, and and wanted his children to, to grow up uh, worshipping the one true God. No, but it was it was Abram who actually heard from the Lord. He must have told his dad, Hey Dad, I I, I the Lord spoke to me. What Lord? The Lord, the the, the God of the God of Noah, the God of, of Shem, the, the, the God of Seth the God of Adam. Mm-hmm. That God spoke to me. He told me to, to get out of here and to go to a land in which he's gonna show me. Mm-hmm. So no doubt he must have he must have spoken to his dad and told him this. You know, now we don't know if if, if his dad, Terah, said, Alright, let's go. Or, 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 or what happened? But we see that the instructions to the Lord, Notice again, as Stephen said, that, that the Lord spoke to Abram when he was in Mesopotamia, Meaning in early Chaldeans, Before he dwelt in Haran. And he said to him, Get out of your country and from your relatives. And come to a land that I will show you. So the instructions to Abram was, Leave everyone behind. And leave And go. Now this is while, this was while his dad was still alive. But the instruction to him from the Lord was, leave all your family, leave your relatives. Of course, just take your wife and get out of there. So we see that he heard while he was stirring Ur, and we see that God called him to leave Ur alone. Of course, with his wife was sorry, right, but he took his family with him. Um, maybe he was concerned for them too. You know, maybe he thought, what about my family? I can't leave them behind. You know, they're worshiping the moon god and they're they're loving it, and they're probably never going to get out of this idolatry. You know, maybe he thought, oh, my father's dead, is, is old. You know, he's going to die soon. I got to bring him with me. You know, we don't know what exactly it was. But either way, we see that Abram didn't fully obey God. God's instructions to Abram were clear. Leave leave your land, you know, and leave all your relatives and go to a land which I will show you, to Canaan. You know, and he didn't. You know, it says that he brought his family along. He brought his dad along His and his nephew Lot and it ended up getting him into big trouble now this isn't interesting because again he didn't fully obey Abraham the, the, the father of faith and Abraham the uh, father Abraham the father of the nation of Israel you know and this great prophet Abraham the great father Abraham but yet we see that he didn't fully obey God he took his dad and his nephew with them and they ended up in Haran you know so again maybe his family like Haran again Haran is the second was the second biggest place for the for the moon god worship for this idolatrous worship maybe terah liked died of worship i don't know you know but notice that what it says there in 12 1 the next chapter 12 1 the first verse is now the lord has said to abram get out of your country from your family from your father's house to a land that i will show you so see we see that the lord speaks to him again after terah dies so this is kind of insinuating that that it was because of terah that, that that they ended up in haran so that wasn't god's perfect plan for abram God's perfect plan for Abram was that he would he would leave early Chaldees and go straight to Canaan, just him and Sarai. Now, Terah, Terah's name actually means delay. That's what his name means. If you look up Terah means delay, and we see that, that that's actually what the what, what he ended up doing. He ended up delaying God's promises to Abram because of his idolatrous heart, because of his of his of his idol worshiping. You know. So again, Abram brought him along. This was Abram's fault also. But his call was to go alone. And sometimes, this brings up the point that sometimes God calls us out alone. I mean, the call of salvation is always to the individual. We see that. You know, that when God saves somebody, you know, he's not that because my mom is saved, now I'm saved too. You know, and not because my grandma was saved 50 years ago. And now all the family is saved. No, but we see that that, that that God sometimes calls us alone. Salvation itself is a call to the individual. When we go out there and preach the gospel, right, it says, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's not whosoever calls on the name and them and their whole all their descendants and no, but salvation is personal. It's a personal thing, and we see that, that God is always calling people, you know, out alone. Again, salvation—the call, of salvation itself—is for the individual, and we see that sometimes the work of God is for you alone. You know, sometimes family isn't always supportive. I mean, we're blessed when we have, you know, godly family, but but sometimes the the call is for you alone. You know, and I think about just Liz and I as we we're over there and. Octavio Chapel La Puente, and, and, and the Lord calls us out to, to, you know, to over here. And I was thinking, man, you know, I've been praying for my family for eight years, you know, and and just about a, a month before, a month before we get called out, you know, the Lord brought my, my older sister, her husband, my niece, my two nephews, you know, and then my other sister with all her kids. I'm like, man, I've been praying for them for years, you know, and now they're at church and now the Lord calls me out. And, and, and yeah I'll, I'll be lying if the, Lord, if the thought didn't come to my Lord what about them Lord uh, are, are they going to be alright Lord are, you know, like maybe I should stay behind so I could disciple them and help them just kind of get along in their walk and the Lord said no I've, I've called you out I didn't call them out am like alright Lord alright and we see that sometimes the call of God is for, is for the individual sometimes the Lord calls you to certain things or to certain places and, and it's because the Lord's going to show you something that he can only show you you know, it's not for everyone else, you know, but it's only for you. You know, and, and we see that, that that this was a call to Abram and Sarai. You know, that the call to them was only to them because God was going to do a work in them that was that was only for them. He was going to, through them, He was going to bless them, you know, bring out bring, uh, Isaac and Jacob and, and the 12 tribes who come from, Jay, from Jacob, all the 12 sons. But the call was specifically to them. And we see that, that later on, He's going to call them. He's going to call him out And Abraham's, Abraham's going to bring Lot along And Lot's going to get him Into all kinds of trouble And get him into a little detour again As he goes into Sodom and Gomorrah But we see that the that, 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 that application here is, is, that, is that sometimes God calls us To things alone Now it's not so much Always to a place But sometimes it's to a work Sometimes it's to a ministry Sometimes it's to Whatever it may be You know And we may think oh, Lord but what about him? Lord but what about them? Lord but what about my family? Lord but what about this Or that or the other? And I'm reminded of what the Lord told Peter There in John 21 When, when he called him And he, then Peter's like What about that guy pointing at John And what did the Lord say He says Hey if, if, if I will If I will That he should be alive till I, till I come back What does it matter to you He says You, you feed my sheep you know, And really that's That's what it is That the call to us is, is a specific calling to us alone You know Whatever God has called you to do Yeah it might, it might be To come along somebody But the call is, is for yourself you know, and we see here that, that the call was to Abram and to, and to Sarah. So we see again that, that there are certain things that God can only show you that are for you and no one else. And it's like and if, anyone, if anyone else is in the room, God's not going to show you because this is special just for you. Like, all right, like so I got to go get alone, you know. And, and, and I really cherish the times, you know, even though I hate traffic, I really cherish the times when I'm in traffic and I'm just praying to the Lord because the Lord is ministering to, to me in a, in a way that, that He can't. When I'm praying with my wife or when I'm praying in a group. And I mean, I love praying with my wife and I love praying in a group. But sometimes there's things that the Lord needs to show me, just me. You know, sometimes I'm crying, I mean, <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm crying too. Sometimes I'm driving you know, I start crying like, man, Lord, that's, that's heavy. You know, I'm just talking to the Lord. And it's like, if I was in a group, that probably wouldn't happen because I tend to not open up as much, you know, emotionally. But when I'm by myself, I'm talking to the Lord and the Lord's ministering to my heart. And it's just like, it's just us. I'm like, Lord, it's just me and you right now you know, I'm stuck in traffic for an hour and a half and Lord doesn't need you right now. You know, and there's certain things that the Lord will just, will show me that are just for me. You know, that He can't show me when I'm with other people. You know, and I encourage you guys to get into that, into that, 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 that lone place with the Lord. You know, to just hear from the Lord. Because maybe there's something that the Lord is designed and designed to show you, you know, today, tonight, and tomorrow, that's just for you. You know, that's outside of the corporate church setting. You know, and it's just for you. You know, but that you know, I want to say I don't want to say that that praying in a group is not important. I love praying, you know, corporate prayers, and, and of course with my wife. But again, the Lord is designed to to show you something specifically. I'm reminded also of Jonathan there, as we read uh, there in Samuel. You know, when, when he when he told his armor bearer, "Hey, let's go over there to garrison of the Philistines." He didn't tell his dad. He didn't tell anybody. You know, his, his dad his dad actually later on found out because he saw all the commotion going on there with the with the with the Philistines, and then he realized, "Hey, where's Jonathan at?" they're like, oh, they're up there. They must have gone up there. Mm-hmm. But we see that maybe if, I mean, the way that Saul was discouraged and the rest of the army was discouraged, maybe if, if Jonathan would have told us that, hey, Dad, I got an idea. I think the Lord put it in my heart to go up there with my armor-bearer and bring him do this. He would have been like, no, no way, no way. You know, you're going to get hurt. It's too dangerous, too many of them. We have no weapons. Mm-hmm. All right, I won't go. Maybe he would have discouraged them. we see that when Jonathan went up there, he didn't tell anybody. He just said, told his armor, hey, let's go. He said, all right, let's go. Whatever's in your heart, I'll go with you. He didn't even tell his dad. You know, sometimes the Lord puts things in our heart that are are just for us. You know, and sometimes God calls us and we bring extra baggage. You know, we see Abram brought uh, extra luggage, you know, extra baggage. His dad, his nephew, you know, and and, and if that's the case, you know, if you see that the Lord has called you somewhere and you're like, man, Lord, I'm already here now, but I have all this luggage with me. That I wasn't supposed to bring I find myself like this sometimes, You know Where the Lord calls me To do something and, and it's in a specific way And I bring along All kinds of other things Just in case It doesn't work out And the Lord says Hey I didn't tell you To bring all that stuff Just come as you are Just come like how I called you And sometimes we get To a point Where like Alright Lord Well I have it on me already What do I do All this luggage Hey check it into Another flight And, and let it get lost You know We see that, 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 that The Lord The Lord is designed To call us You know Without that extra baggage You know Just leave it all behind God's call wasn't to a perfect, obedient man. As we see that that Abraham was only half obedient. He obeyed, but he ended up getting stuck in Haran because of his dad. And the Lord didn't speak to him again until his dad died. So we see that Abraham didn't obey fully. You know, he, didn't, he wasn't a perfect, this perfect, godly. Well, he was godly, but he wasn't this perfect, flawless individual like we tend to think of, you know. And sometimes we look at these heroes from the, from the faith and heroes of the Bible and we think, oh man, I can never be like that guy. He's Abraham. Yeah, oh man, that's, that's King David. Oh man, that's Moses. And I love the Bible, I love because the Bible never never hides anyone's failures or faults. You know, it tells us all their dirt. And we see that, that that Abram he wasn't this perfect obedient man. You know, he had many faults. But this reminds me that God doesn't call the qualify. You no, know, he qualifies the called. That's something that Pastor Chuck will say all the time. God doesn't call to qualify, you no, know, he qualifies the called. And, and, and if the Lord has called you Don't think Oh well, I'm not qualified I didn't, well, I didn't have no schooling No this No that no. Don't worry about that God doesn't call the qualified Because if, if God would call the qualified then, then they would Exalt themselves You know God qualifies those whom, he has, those whom he has called So if you're out here today And you're thinking I'm not qualified To do it Oh perfect You're in the right You're in the right place Because God will qualify you Don't let that discourage you maybe God is calling you to something alone a new season maybe you've answered the call with extra luggage hey again it's not too late man check it into another flight you know leave it behind you and just, and just allow the Lord to continue that work that He desired to do in you you know and when I see luggage I mean sometimes it's things from the past sometimes it's you know these little crutches that we tend to pick up along the way you know sometimes it's whatever it may be you, that's between you and the Lord I encourage you to just, man, throw it to the side, you know, and to just keep walking with the Lord, man. Whatever the Lord is desiring to show you, to do in and through you. It's a new season, you know, and, and the Lord is calling you to do this, this thing. I encourage you guys to, to, to be open to the moving of the Holy Spirit and to His leading, to His guiding. You know, there's so many things that, that, that the Lord has put in my heart, you know, to do. And, and I'm just like, Lord, when? Lord, now? Lord, when is it? You know, I mean, I want to eventually, you know, have a prayer night, and, and, and the Lord's putting in my heart to, to do a, a prayer walks at the park, you know, maybe once a month. On Saturday morning, go to the park and just walk around and just pray for the church, pray for the community, pray for the people, you know, pray if, if we encounter anybody, whatever. All these things that the Lord's put in my heart, I'm like, right, Lord. You know, there's things that the Lord's working out and stuff. And, and, and uh, but all that is to say to just be open to the moving of the Holy Spirit and to not think, well, Lord, I'm nobody. Oh, Lord, well, I'm just so-and-so. Boom, perfect! You're in the right place, You're in the right place, because I'm just so and so, and I'm just nobody, and Abram was just a Abram, and Abram and Sarah were just Abram and Sarah. They didn't have no kids. Even though his name was Exalted Father, I man, kind of I just imagine his neighbors. Hey, Exalted Father, uh, how's your kids? Oh, I don't got any. Ah, yeah, no. Hey, Exalted Father, how's your how's your grandson doing? Oh, well, you know I don't have no kids at all, right? You know, I can just imagine him. You know, I can just imagine all the talk that would go around. You know, as again, Exalted Father. And then he's 60 years old old and still doesn't have any kids. I mean, yet, you know, he's holding on to his promise that the Lord gave him. Don't let that get in the way, guys. If the Lord is giving you a promise, if the Lord is showing you something, you know, then don't let anything get in the way. Don't let the fact that you feel unqualified get in the way. Don't let the fact that you feel unequipped Don't let the fact that that, that you feel like, oh, we won't have enough people. Again, nothing restrains the Lord from, nothing hinders the Lord from saving by many or by few. And that's us, the few elect. Amen? Father God, just thank you so much for your